Welcome to EWTN's Crucial Questions, Catholic Answers. I'm Father Regis Scanlon from Denver, Colorado, and I'm a member of the Capuchin Province, Mid-America Province, and I'm happy to be with you today. We're going to consider the question, what are the rules to Christian courtship? You know, uh, before I went to the seminary, of course, I dated, and I can still remember my first dance. I was in the ninth grade. And uh, you know how this was? Uh, this was back in the late 50s. And I went to the dance, and all the boys were in one section, and all the girls were in another section. And, of course, uh, the, we were all afraid to dance. All the boys sat around and talked. The girls all wanted to dance, you know. And so uh, as we talked, uh, they announced the ladies' choice, and I wasn't paying attention. And uh, all of a sudden, all the guys disappeared, and I was standing there, and there was these four girls coming at me. And uh, I remember they dragged me out of the floor to dance. Uh, my palms were sweating. I was terrified at these beautiful creatures. Um, but it was a beautiful experience. And uh, who could deny these beautiful experiences to young people? Uh, beginning of courtship, uh, romantic love is one of the most wonderful things that God has given us. But you know there's dangers involved in these things too, isn't there? Uh, it's interesting that if you look at the scriptures, the act of fornication, that's premarital sex, is condemned 25 times. Four times in the, 25 times in the scriptures altogether. Four times in the Old Testament and 21 times in the New Testament. The act of adultery, or extramarital sex, is condemned 39 times in the scriptures. 20 times in the Old Testament, 19 times in the New Testament. Why are these sins condemned so many times in the scripture? Some people say, well, God's being mean, just doesn't want, to have, want us to have fun. Well, most likely it's because uh, many people find much difficulty in obeying God's commandment in this area. While many good young people know that extramarital and premarital sex are evil, many think that the acts leading up to it aren't wrong. Some think that a person only enters the gravely evil area when, for example, they're taking off their clothes or getting in the bed. Young people must know that there is what we call the sin of lust, which begins in the heart. And Jesus says, quote, For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander, unquote. That's Matthew 15, verse 19. And he says this, quote, You have heard the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. What I say to you is, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his thoughts. Unquote. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28. And similarly, St. Peter talks about these lustful people when he says, quote, thinking daytime revelry a delight, they are stain and defilement as they share your feasts and a spirit of seduction, constantly on the lookout for a woman. Theirs is a never-ending search for sin. They lure the weaker types." Unquote. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. And he says about their outcome, quote, the darkest gloom has been reserved for them, unquote. And that's the, uh, the same source, verse 18. So the sin of impurity does not begin outside the person. The sin of impurity 
begins with one's thoughts. The practice of the church has always been to teach that the deliberate retention of lustful or impure thoughts in the mind is a mortal sin because it is equivalent to adultery. It is true that everyone gets these thoughts. These are called temptations. But if one knowingly entertains them, deliberately keeps these thoughts in one's mind, then one is committing a mortal sin, not a venial sin, a mortal sin, because it's a serious matter. Now, most young people have a difficulty determining sin and the proximity of sin in the area of human sexuality because they're not fully aware of concupiscence. Concupiscence is the, is, is the result of the sin of Adam and Eve. It is passed down to each of us through procreation. It is one of the effects of original sin, which still remains in us after we've been baptized. Concupiscence can be described as a weakness, an inclination, a leaning, a drifting toward selfishness. Concupiscence is a tendency in us to use created things for our own self-pleasure in total disregard for other people, for the person. Thus, all psychologically healthy young men have a tendency to use the young woman for his own pleasure. And he must resist acting according to this tendency if he wants to truly love the woman when he's out on a date. Young, the young people today must be taught that there is a difference between affection and passion. Few things are as beautiful and wonderful as a kiss of affection. It is the joy, the spice of life. But passion is sexual arousal, and it is the natural preparation for the act of sexual intercourse. And it is very easy to slip from affection and the passion because of the weakness in our human nature called concupiscence. For example, a young couple on a date may exchange a brief kiss of affection or a hug to express their gratitude towards one another. The purpose of this act is to tell your date, your partner for the date, that you appreciate him or her as a person. These kisses and hugs are natural and brief the kiss is usually given on the side of the person's face, and the hugs usually leave some distance between the man and the woman. But if the couple slip into prolonged or open mouth kissing, or engage in touching parts of the body which are characteristically masculine and feminine, this is passion. Now, passion is permissible in marriage because it's ordered towards sexual relations for the sake of love and children. Now, it is impossible, however, to engage in these passionate activities and not be sexually aroused. And it is impossible to be sexually aroused and not have impure thoughts. It is impossible to engage in these passionate activities and not desire sexual intercourse. Consequently, this is, quote, committing adultery in the heart if one is not married. This is a serious matter. And if this is knowingly and deliberately done with full consent of the will, it's a mortal sin. This is not a venial sin. This is a mortal sin. 
Now, there's a difference between having a good time bowling or eating out, then saying thank you with a brief hug or kiss on the cheek and spending. There's a difference between that and going out to spend time necking and petting. There is no more spiritually healthy and secure way of dating than for a young man and a young woman to date in groups in company of others or at least where they can be seen by others like at a public restaurant and if a young man and women who frequently fail in chastity are honest about the matter they will have to admit that the decision to commit a mortal sin or at least risk fornication premarital sex is often made when planning the date do the couple plan to be with others or be alone and the decision to spend time alone is in intimacy is often determined by the choice of the place where the date will occur are they planning to spend time alone in a parked car are they planning to be alone on the porch at night or in someone's house when the parents are away isn't this decision to risk committing a mortal sin when planning the date itself a mortal sin? Aren't these couples entering into what we call a near occasion of sin? They're risking their chastity for pleasure. Young men and women must know that once a sin, passionate kissing, touching, especially sexual intercourse, once a sin has been committed by an unmarried couple, it is most unlikely, if not impossible, for this couple to be alone for a period of time without falling back into the sin. A man and a woman do not begin their relationship anew on each date. When intimacy has taken place between a man and a woman, the couple tend to continue the relationship where they left off. Once the barrier of familiarity is crossed, there's no going back. A young couple who have fallen into the sin of impurity without the intention of marrying in the future must simply separate. They can begin anew to build a pure friendship with others, but not between themselves. Now, some people will say, Father, this is too strict. But we must remember that in order to be forgiven our mortal sins by a priest in the confessional, it is necessary to intend not to sin again. The Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church states this, quote, among the penitents' acts, contrition occupies first place contrition is sorrow of the soul and detestation for the sin committed together with a resolution not to sin again and that's number 1451 of the catechism of the catholic church with the resolution not to sin again and god sees our hearts and our minds he knows that we know if there is a probability that we will enter into sin again when alone with the same person 
with whom we have sinned. He knows. He knows what we know about that. The question is, to what extent are we willing to go to avoid the next mortal sin? We are required to avoid the near occasion of sin. And a near occasion of sin can be a person, a place, or a thing. We will not be forgiven if we are only resolved not to sin most of the time. We must be truly resolved and intend never to sin again. And this intention necessarily includes avoiding the near occasion of sin. We must be willing to give up our very life rather than sin again. And if we mean anything less, we will not be forgiven. Once, when I was in high school, now don't become afraid, I'm not going to uh, start revealing my soul to you now or anything like this, but once when I was in high school, I fell into passionate kissing with a beautiful young lady. I confessed this sin on three successive Saturdays. I was losing control of myself, and the priest knew it. The priest asked me, if I was going out to date, going on a date that day, because we went to confession on Saturday afternoon, three o'clock. He asked me if I was going out on a date with the same girl. I said, well, yes. And he asked me, will you fall into sin again with her? I was a sophomore in high school. I responded, I'll try not to, Father. But he retorted, but do you think you will? I said, well, possibly. He said, or is it probably? I agreed that it was probable. After thinking about it, he said to me, you know, you've been out three times and you failed three times. He said, and now you're going out again. And I said, yes, Father, I probably will. So the priest told me, that he would not give me absolution unless I would break up with that young woman. It was the most difficult thing I ever did. And she was hurt. I can still see her trying to put her arms around my neck. I grabbed her wrists. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Today, some people might say that priest was very mean. But you know that priest loved me and he loved that girl. That priest acted on behalf of God to save my chastity, what was left, and this young girl, who may have been completely innocent. And uh, today, I'm a very happy priest. And that woman is a happily married woman, a very good Catholic. Our lives would have been ruined if this priest hadn't acted in that manner to make me choose between true contrition and playing the game of religion. He made me choose. And I'm sure when that woman, if she ever sees this film here, in EWTN, she's probably saying, thank the Lord I did not marry him. You know? <laughs> she has a very handsome husband, I'm sure. And wonderful children. Um, this priest had the courage to love me. 
and to do the thing that was right. He didn't worry about himself. He didn't worry about that. He, he thought what was necessary for me. Now, I've heard uh, people come to me and they say that uh, sometimes when they go to confession, the priest will say, well, do you love the girl? Uh, as if that makes a difference when there's no intention to marry. And uh, if that was question would have been asked to me, I would have said, Father, I love all the girls. I haven't seen a girl I didn't love. You know? uh, I wouldn't go out with them if I didn't love them, you know? <laughs> uh, now, we have to understand uh, the, the, the question of what if the couple who have sinned intend to marry? This is another question, isn't it? Some people think that if a couple is engaged, this gives them a right to certain rights, right to passionate kissing, a right, right to a little bit of sin, you know, in this area. This is false. Uh, a couple can be engaged, call off their engagement, and each can become engaged with someone else. If that were the case, well, then one could sin, 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 sin. <laughs> there are no more rights for people that are engaged than for people we're not engaged. What should an engaged couple do who have sinned? What should they do if they want to get married, let's say in six months, and they want to go to confession and go to communion? Well, they must intend not to sin again. Now, if they do not intend not to sin again, if they do not intend to avoid the narrow occasion of sin, even the Pope giving an absolution isn't going to remove that sin. They have to be sorry, truly sorry, which means they have to intend not to sin again. Not just to try, but they have to intend to try with all their might not to sin again, with everything they got. It's the occasion of sin in the future, in the future. This may mean never being alone until their wedding night. They may have to only meet public restaurants, public places, and they may have to go home separately because they're honest about it. The devil will really tempt them when he, when he takes her to the door <laughs> when they're alone. If they love Christ, if they love one another, they will do this. I know couples who have done it. I know a couple who did it for six months. And they're very happy today that they did it. They were very happy on their wedding day. And one can see from their life that they, it had good effects, very good effects. They've built each trust in one another and their ability to control themselves. It's a beautiful thing. And one can see they're not good. What about going steady? Who should go steady? Just those who are ready to marry. Being steady companionship with one member of the opposite sex is to discover if he or she is the one you wish to marry. Now, this is determined by the sharing and discussing of one's faith, one's values, moral values, faith values, not by the exchange of embraces and kisses, a man can kiss several women and love each moment of it. Doesn't tell them that they should marry that one. It's probably the same for the woman. 
They need to know their values. They need to know their moral values. Their views towards children, to bringing up children, toward discipline, things like that. Now once the couple has decided, this is the one for me, this is the one I will marry, then they should marry. Since it is only natural for a man and a woman to grow as they come to know one another in a romantic relationship. Prolonged dating, therefore, will usually present grave temptations. And we have no right, especially if we want to sincerely, if we've sinned in the past, we must say we're sincerely sorry. If the decision is that they are not going to marry, the couple should no longer keep steady companionship. Exclusive relationships between a man and a woman is always morally dangerous. It's justified in order to, it's not justified for something like that. Now, everyone is aware of the phenomenon in the near future. Because they plan to go to college, or they plan to have a career and so forth. One often sees high school students clinging to one another in the hallways and standing on school steps necking. I used to say to the young people in school, and I taught high school for 10 years, I used to say to the, people, to the young people as they had come up, I'd say, well, the guy would be having his arm around the girl to be coming up the hallway steps. I'd say, she can, she can walk up by herself. You know, why she needs some help all the time, you know. The clinging, you know. These high after a fight, they break up and go with somebody else. Today's secular society tolerates this and I've spoken to parents who think it's cute. But it's not cute. By this dating, is it, it precise for so many boys and girls losing their virginity at such an early age? Remember the opposite sex, when marriage is impossible and there's no intention to marry in the near future, is to place oneself into a near occasion of sin and is to commit a mortal sin. By that fact, if one knows what they're doing, if one knows what they're doing, there are a couple other practical when being involved in courtship today. First of all, young couples also need to understand that they must be very careful when they hold one another on a dance floor. It is possible for young people to have a good time when dancing. There are beautiful dances, even my own time. I like the waltz, the foxtrot. These are enjoyable activities. But sustained close dancing is quite dangerous. It is impossible for an emotionally healthy young man not to be sexually aroused while a partner of his is draped over him like a coat on a coat hanger. This is simply not decent. It's impossible for the man not to be sexually aroused unless there's something wrong with him emotionally. Secondly, the type of clothes has to be examined very carefully when one goes out on a date. Young ladies need to understand this quite carefully. If a young woman dresses modestly and beautifully it is a joy for the man and he can focus on her personality he can get to know what a beautiful companion she will make and what a lovely creature she is her brilliance her brightness everything else about her personality but if she wears tight sweaters hot pants things like this the poor man will be struggling with himself trying to he'll be relating to himself all night trying to control himself he won't really see who she is beautiful christian worship and we need to understand it very clearly uh, a final word in selecting a date is this. Today, men and women must investigate the person who, wish they, who they date. There are many people today who have been married and are divorced with no annulment. We must remember that Jesus says, let no man 
separate what God has joined, Matthew 19, 6. If a couple is truly married, they are married until death. If one of the, if one of the spouse, until one of the spouses die. No judge can change this, the civil court. And to date a married girl, even if she has a civil divorce, is a mortal sin. It is already the beginning of adultery. So we need to understand that, say it quite frankly and clearly. We'd like to thank you for being here today. And uh, uh, I'd like to invite you when we consider the next topic. The next topic is why are so many Catholic marriages ending in divorce today? So we look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much.